What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Remember, remember the 5th of November, McLean and Ramsey's goal-scoring plots. Two wins out of three, life looking more rosy. Is this a corner turned for City? Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast in association with Future Radio. My name is Connor Southwell, host and definitely not poet, as you can see from the opening of the show. And joining us around the bonfire to discuss the Canaries 2-1 win over Rotherham are our two consistent performers, Paddy Davitt and Sam Seaman. Uh, Pad, if we park the uh, the fireworks and, and the Guy Fawkes references... This win for Norwich City, your your reflections, it felt like a day of positivity. And this season, we probably haven't had too many of those to discuss and talk about, or maybe not enough of those to talk about. No, I was, I was desperately trying to come on, on the back of that firework-infused intro, but I, I simply can't think of anything, Connor. So we'll, we'll roll it on, I'm afraid, uh, lacking in inspiration. I think it's the rain I'm looking at here. There wouldn't be too much of a fireworks display going on today because Sunday morning in Norwich is wet. Um, but it's a good weekend still, whether whether or not, because uh, yeah, I mean after one win in eight, things looking pretty gloomy. It's now one defeat in five, if you want to cut it that way. It's two wins and a draw in the last three. Um, and what I liked about Saturday was Dean Smith got it spot on and um, got his calls right, and he was opening himself up to some serious scrutiny, leaving Cantwell out, putting Kenny McLean back in. Uh, starting with Zara, um, but it worked to a T. And the way he explained it, where his thoughts were after the game, to, to nullify what he felt Rotherham would add, that's music to my ears, and I'm sure a lot of Norwich fans, because there's, I think there's been a sense in a lot of games, tactically, they probably have, you know, maybe have been outflanked in parts of games, and they've they've almost having having to counteract what other teams are doing. But but yesterday at Rotherham. Uh, very much a game plan that was executed perfectly and um, and that could have been a more comfortable win uh, if they took one or two of their chances. As it was, they had to show a lot of resilience and character. Um, And I don't want to dismiss Rotherham too lightly. I know that that they'll be down the wrong end of the table, but it was only two or three days prior to that they'd gone to Burnley and they were were leading, I think, very late on that day and, and certainly should have got something from that game. I think, you know, they leaked two very, very late goals and then obviously Burnley before kickoff yesterday, um, not that far up the road at Sheffield United, get beat 5-2. So the madness of the championship, you know, Watford got beat. QPR, who were very impressive at Car Road a few days earlier, get beat at home to West Brom. Um, so it's just a, a very pertinent reminder that, you know, Dean Smith's impending demise is probably a little premature in certain quarters and that, you know, he has a group of players, but in, more importantly for me, he utilised them very, very well yesterday to nullify a Rotherham team who could have posed um, a lot of problems as they do to a lot of sides at this level. Um, and as a result, you know, you leave that game thinking not just it's another three points, but yet more evidence of a, a, a style coming together and a group of players who tactically are aware enough to carry out a game plan. Um, and as a result, you know, that should give fans plenty of confidence moving forward. You know, they just need to finish this spell off now. Middlesbrough this Saturday at Carrow Road, they do that, then they've delivered on Dean Smith's pledge post-Burnley, which was to, you know, he he wanted eight points. They'd be 10 points, I think, if they get the win this Saturday. And they'd be firmly inside the top six uh, and really setting themselves up to have a good go the other side of the World Cup. So from from a period where it was... You know, is he? Is he? How much time has he got? Is he on borrowed time? I think now it's. Uh, we won't say he's completely out of the woods or, or the team, but uh, things are looking a lot healthier, and, uh, and it's a testament to to Dean Smith. I think primarily because um, you know he's he's ridden out the storm, come out the other side, and at this stage uh, things are looking a lot healthier. But you know, 
it turned one way in a negative sense and it can easily do that again because that's the championship. So I don't think we need to get carried away. But I just thought overall, um, in terms of how he set them up and tactically and, and how they won that game and the players within the template and how they performed, um, real positive signs now and, and, a, and a sense for me of a little bit of momentum building on it. Absolutely. And uh, I think he described it after the game as a win that calmed the waters a little bit, which um, feels quite apt, particularly given the weather today, but also uh, I think does reflect maybe where he is. And we'll, we'll come back to it in a minute. This is an open question, though, since we've we've kind of started around the firework topic. Maybe it's because I, I have a genuine phobia of fireworks. So I'm not the best person at this time of year. But uh, like me and the cats and the dogs are under the blanket shivering. Um, but what, what are we actually sort of celebrating? Are we celebrating the fact that he didn't blow up parliament or that he tried what well, it's an open question so come in where, where you know if either of you have an answer what, what are we actually are we celebrating the fact the plot was foiled and i don't i don't yeah, really I think it. it's it's the day being saved the whole everything's okay no but then there's a contradiction we're celebrating the fact that someone didn't blow something up by blowing stuff up uh, I can't explain. I didn't invent it, to be honest. I don't know if you're aware I'm of this, holding, corner, but it's been around for, I think, most of my life, at least, people have been celebrating Firework Day, so I'm not quite sure I remember the origins, but uh, if I do find the person that um, that created them, I'll, I'll let, let you know, and more importantly, the Pink and Podcast listeners, because uh, that's what they come for. So, um, yeah, yeah uh, I will let you know, but I'm, I must admit, I'm not totally sure, despite being a, a Firework Night, Bonfire Night expert, that's not in my um in my knowledge, unfortunately. Yeah, well, if anyone does have any answers, then then let's know. Uh, Paddy looks itching to come in. I don't know if he <laughs> if he has any answers on this. Well, I mean, I, I did history at university. I can tell you all oh, about. Well, you're, the be, you're the best man, then. You're the best person well, qualified to tell us. I think it, I think Guy Fawkes was a Catholic, and he was trying to blow up the uh, the monarchist uh, parliamentarian um, structures of of you know oppressed rule. Is my take on it, but. Uh, some would say, I probably shouldn't go this way, but uh, maybe we could do without Parliament at the moment, given the uh, the, uh, the low calibre of uh, MPs currently residing there, irrespective of uh, your political views. So uh, um, maybe we shouldn't be celebrating, because if he'd have done his job properly, uh, we might be in a better state. But anyway, that's, uh, that's a very again, deep, that's, that's what happened. Way what, what, what are we celebrating? Why on earth you took us down this tangent? When I'm, I'm, all, all I'm here on this Sunday morning is to discuss Norwich's win at Rotherham. I don't want to get into a big debate about the uh, the origins or the merits of uh, Bonfire Night as a as a as a construct. But uh, but that that's I mean I'll have to double check that because I'm sure there'll be somebody saying you've absolutely got that completely wrong and no doubt we'll be put in a straight. But I think that was the gist of it. Um, I'm going to say early 1600s, but I'd have to check that. In fact, I'm going to check that now when you go to the next well, question. You, you do that while I ask a, a stupid question uh, to Sam around it, um, which is if Guy Fawkes was a footballer, what position would he play and who would he play for, Sam? What level would, would he be at if, if we were to kind of put him into a team? Um, I think you'd have to see if I If I was to put him in the a, in a Norwich City squad, I'd say Ono Hernandez probably. Trying to cause a bit of chaos, trying to disrupt things, but at the end of the day, probably needs to get the job done a little bit better than he he has previously. I think that's actually a pretty good metaphor for me, to be fair. Or, you know, I think I think thinking about that, it's, it's it, it works well. Yeah. Right, Paddy's got the answers. Come on, Pad, let's know. See, I wasn't too far off in terms of my timeline. I'm going to read this. Uh, What's your source there? first and foremost? Uh, the, history, the History Channel. So I'll, I'll right, take that. Right, there I'll you take go. That. It commemorates the failed gunpowder plot of 1605, observed in the United Kingdom on November the 5th, at a failed assassination attempt from over 400 years ago. Guy Fawkes and a group of radical English Catholics tried to assassinate King James I by blowing up Parliament's House of Lords. The plot went awry and all the conspirators were executed. Soon after, Britons began to celebrate Fawkes' demise and the survival of their king by burning effigies, lighting bonfires and setting off fireworks, a tradition which has continued to this day there you go i was right there we go so, thank you buddy uh, yeah, people so have come from football and they've, they've stayed for the education around around the celebrations on the 5th of november perhaps slightly ironic given uh, what i opened the show with and the word remember and i don't really remember what we what we exactly were. I, I know the plot and stuff i just don't know why we're why we why it's celebrated but um that's probably a, a deeper debate and not for this podcast you say right let's stick to football because no doubt people will be urging us to do that um 
Sam, this was, uh, it, it's one of those ones, isn't it, when you go to Robin, where people kind of sort of puff their cheeks out. It's the cliche, oh, it's a tough place to go and uh, you have to earn the right to play. I heard that a few times, um, sort of leading into this game, those cliched remarks, which basically suggest it's not going to be a very nice game. It's going to be pretty grim. They're a physical side that's going to go toe to toe and it's going to be pretty tough. And even though Rotherham, I feel, are a bit more progressive, certainly in possession under Matt Taylor than, than they were under Paul Warren, where they were a bit more blood and thunder and willing to to perhaps go a bit more direct, long throws, make the use of uh, set pieces, which I know they've done this season. It was still a really tough afternoon, which perhaps if you looked at the league table and even the form tables, you maybe wouldn't expect from a Norwich City perspective. Yeah, I thought it was probably characterised by a lot of grit and determination and uh, as he said I'm now reading off the sorts of cliches you expect to be talking about when you go to the New York Stadium but I thought style of play wise it wasn't necessarily what you might expect um, from Matt Taylor's side as he said there were a lot of crosses going in the box but um, I felt in the on the lead up to, to that and sort of progressing the ball from back to front they actually were fairly considerate with it and only saw two or three sort of aimless long balls go go forwards towards Grant Hanley and Ben Gibson. So I think it would maybe be putting Brotherham in a, a pretty unfair box to say they just sort of fit the cliches and everything yesterday. But, you know, in the uh, sort of windswept, rainy um, South Yorkshire, Norwich certainly were made to, to work hard for the, the win. Um, more in terms of the battle that they faced. And I thought they stood up to that really well. The midfield of Gabriel Sarra and... Kenny McLean and uh, Isaac Hayden. I think Pads obviously already spoke about how Dean Smith's setup works pretty well for him, um, despite maybe being criticised quite heavily before kickoff. Um, but I'd, I'd just echo those sentiments in terms of he got it spot on. Um, it was the right players for the right game, and we've spoken throughout his tenure really that he's the sort of person to prioritise that and to go game by game with his tactics. And despite a good performance against QPR, he did make those changes and it worked perfectly well. So, yeah, I thought they did really come in for a test and uh, tweeted it yesterday, actually. I thought they were all the aspects Norwich were looking for, maybe not in the abundance that Norwich fans would like to see over an extended period um, as the season unfolds. But I thought there were some pretty good spells in possession. I thought Norwich looked quite solid defensively, a couple of mistakes um, and the goal is certainly not the sort of goal you want to be conceding. But other than that, I thought they were pretty solid. Um, and they also stood up to the battle and with a, a testing atmosphere, the like of which they maybe folded under a little bit at Bramwell Lane um, a couple of weeks ago. They really stuck it out. And, you know, there was that fervent support from the, the home crowd turned into a really hostile atmosphere. So I don't know if we're going to go on and speak about it, but there was the bottle on the pitch and there was all that to, to distract from the footballing elements that Norwich would like to concentrate on. And yet they came through it, didn't really concede too many good chances um, for other in that second half. I thought after the goal, the the vital block that Max Aaron's made um, from, I think it was Ben Wiles, in, in the second half, that was the only real chance that Rotherham had um, on Angus Gunn's goal. So, yeah, I thought they were all the aspects, really. But to see them fight through it, as they did in a few games, uh, especially away from home, sort of earlier on in the season when they were on that winning run and they were impressive and they were charging towards the top of the championship table, um, to see those elements return, I think, is a, a good sign. And to see them alongside the more positive elements um, that, you know, we like to talk about, the the passing football, the possession, the sort of interchanges between certain players. And there were a couple of times yesterday watching on where I actually thought for the first time, this looks like a team now that's sort of getting used to playing with each other and looks like they maybe know what sorts of runs their teammates are going to make and what sorts of passes their teammates are expecting. Um, so I thought there were actually a number of encouraging elements. But as you said, um, you're not going to come away from the New York Stadium with three points without having been in a, a bit of a scrap. And they obviously faced that um, with a little bit of help from the conditions. And to see them come through it was was really encouraging. And I'm sure Dean Smith and, and his fans will, will take a lot away from that. 
Yeah, it had, it had all the ingredients of not to kind of um, overuse the cliche point, but of, of a cliche championship game, didn't it? It was it was pretty tough conditions against a physical side. It was a bit of an arm wrestle at points. There was some questionable officiating, a hostile home crowd. It was probably a red card short of maybe the the chaos that we would associate with this division. Um, just to, to finish off on the kind of November the 5th stuff, it's actually Norwich City's first win on that date, I think in five attempts. The last time they did it was 1988, uh, uh, Ortuna win against Wimbledon on that day. Um, so there you go. That's a nice little uh, statistic that I'm, I think I'll probably put in my six things when I write that later on. So you can, you've can you got it a little bit early. Um, Pad, Sam did did reference it there, the, the formation change. I mean, there was a few eyebrows raised, as there, as there tends to be, to be fair, when, when Dean Smith names his team at, at two o'clock. And we, we obviously go live when, when that happens and we, we dissect it. And a lot of the time we're trying to apply a formation to it and, I think recently we, we've spoken about this free one, free four, three, one, two. There we go, numbers. Um, we, we've spoken about that quite regularly because it worked well in a game. I want to say Preston, but maybe you guys will, will correct me if that wasn't the case. Um, and because of the outcome of that game, we haven't really seen it since. It was a case of Buki and Sargent playing up front together. That, that made a return for this game because obviously Sargent's returned from injury. It was it was pretty effective, wasn't it, Paddy? I mean, it, it felt to me when I saw the team like Dean Smith was going for kind of an increased physicality and experience and know-how in the middle of the pitch. And, and that midfield three, Hayden, McLean, two experienced operators, Gabriel Sara, who provides an energy, probably a creativity, a thrust, a drive as well from, from midfield, with Aaron Ramsey perhaps injecting a bit of creativity. It did prove to be a, a pretty good mix, didn't it, in, in that area of the pitch? It did, and one element as well to, to flag that I think makes it is the whip from wide areas and Max Aaron's yesterday. That was vintage Max Aaron's. That's as good as I've seen him all season. And Dean Smith acknowledged that after the game, both defensively and in this context, getting forward, getting on the outside of his man. And that's where the first goal was sourced from. And it was Max who triggered the pass into Josh Sargent for goal number two. Um, and at the top end of that is Sargent alongside Pookie. Now, where, do, where does where does that goal come from? It comes from Josh Sargent picking the ball up centrally, turning, drive, shot, Pookie's following up. That doesn't happen positionally if Josh Sargent is being asked to play on the right of a three and, and is one ahead of Max. Um, it's, you know, it was it felt like a veil was being lifted when we saw that unveiled against Preston. Um, but he, he decided to package it away and, and um, you know, go back to sort of how it has been. And obviously Sargent has missed a game or two subsequently with that calf issue, but uh, back in the side, back in a central role and Norwich look all the better for it for me going forward. And 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 for me, as much as we're talking about tactically, it felt like he got this one right. I, I'll be inclined now more often than not to start with that system, with those two players at the top end, and then you can tweak it around them. You know, you can calibrate your midfield to to maybe reflect whatever opponent you're playing, but absolutely no doubt in my mind that um, you know those two have to play together now, um, and you have to to put the players in place around them. Whether that's width from wide areas in terms of your fullbacks, whether that's Ramsey, whether it is a a meatier central midfield pairing of uh, as it was yesterday, Hayden, McLean, um, and Zara. Of course, Nunes would come back into that mix. Even Dowell, even Cantwell. He has so many options in the middle of the park, um, but what he doesn't have really is that spearhead at the top that, you know, it feels like it's a little bit of a square peg in a round hole when you've got Pookie up top on his own, you're asking Sargent to do a job. Yes, he can do it. Yes, he can come inside, particularly against defensive threes where he gets a bit more space and can play more centrally anyway. But, and that was the case again yesterday, but uh, it, it just feels naturally that that, that suits the players. And we all know Josh Sargent um, wants to play there. He's made it quite clear he wants to play there. And um, and I don't think necessarily it hinders Pookie too much either. I mean, there's still, if the service is right to Pookie in terms of those balls down the channel, balls over the top, um, you're, you're not taking anything away from that man's game. I think you're adding to what Norwich collectively can offer if you deploy Sargent alongside him. So um, really, really positive. Uh, you know, in terms of he went back to that shape and that it worked and that the players he entrusted, they carried it out. And Zara, yes, made a rick for the goal, but him and Aaron's in that first half, they set the tone. You know, that they the link-up play they had, that that was a late elite forward. We've not seen that too often this season. And in terms of 
players understanding what other players want within the overall team shape, it felt like a step forward. So, you know, I just hope it doesn't regress again now. We have another stodgy type of performance when Middlesbrough come to town um, because it, it would just feel if they could build on the last two or three games and performances and do the same against Borough, get the result, then you really then, that then for me, begin to say that, yeah, this is moving now and it's moving in a positive direction and there is a discernible approach and a strategy to what Dean Smith's trying to do rather than hitherto it's been throw the pieces up, hopefully they land in a favourable position and maybe you'll get 15, 20 minutes in games. I thought, well, not saying it was a dominant 90 minute yesterday, there was, there was far more control and in the good spells, they were very good. And then when they had to dig in, they were res- resilient as well. So not a complete performance, but but definitely heading along that path. And um, and key to that, to me, is Josh Sargent playing in, in a central position. Yeah, I, I would agree. It's been interesting because um, I've obviously spoken to Josh Sargent on a few occasions this season. And I think he's had to answer that question about being a striker and not playing in that position quite a bit. And you've always got the sense that maybe the answer's given or, or he's been maybe a bit diplomatic with the answer given at times, but there's always that feeling. And, and I think actually he, he's been quite honest that that is where he wants to play. And, and that, them as a partnership and Kenny McLean sort of summed up after the game yesterday, you, you see those two on the, on a team sheet in the front too, as a defender. I mean, that's, that's going to frighten the life out of you, isn't it? The quality that, that they have at this level. And even when T- uh, Temi Buki's not scoring goals and he's in a, a little bit of a, a dry patch at the moment. And I use that in a very loose sense, but He's still a threat. He still causes issues. He still links to play nicely. Some of his runs are still so intelligent. He, he basically won Norwich the second goal, which we'll, we'll come on to later. But Sam, I mean, just to, to kind of go back to the midfield, I, I think we're probably going to talk about over the course of this podcast, each of these players individually. So let's let's start with Isaac Hayden. Um, this was probably the best we've we've seen him. Would, would you agree? I mean, Paddy referenced the fullbacks, but it felt to me like realistically they were only permitted to kind of push on because he was there sitting in almost made it a back three at times but positionally yesterday was so good had such a knack of reading where the ball was going to be it's kind of maybe what Norwich City have missed since since Oliver Skip or or dare I even say Alex Tetty. Yeah I definitely agree with that I think if I was to compare him to one of those two he's probably more of an Alex Tetty probably more positionally focused and athletically focused like maybe Oliver Skip was in a Norwich shirt but yeah I thought he he brought all the physicality that Norwich needed in the midfield really and I saw somebody make the point yesterday actually it's a good point that he you know I I know everybody knows how big a a Kenny McLean fan I am so I'm not just trying to turn the question into me talking about him but I think having that defensive presence really allowed him to to go forward and be the energetic presence a little bit higher up the pitch um than, than maybe he's had to be just because he's sort of versatile and can play anywhere, quote unquote, um, that, that's maybe forced him to be in that more defensive position while Hayden's been unavailable. But the difference since he's come into the team is is really clear to see, um, to be honest. I think it's one of those things where perhaps when you're used to having a good defensive midfielder, it's not something you notice particularly well. But when you don't have one for a year and a half, as Norwich fans didn't, as soon as one comes back into the team, the difference that they make is is clear to see. I don't know quite how he's managed to avoid a yellow card in the last two fixtures. I think he probably could have had three or four in total. Um, but, you know, he really does bring that sort of steel and that that bite. And uh, Smith talked up the experience and cool head that he brings in that midfield. And maybe when he's making a couple of the tackles that he, he makes, it doesn't feel like that. But you certainly feel um, sort of between events that he's quite good at sort of speaking to his teammates and keeping everybody focused and uh that's that's a part of his game I'm really impressed with actually he doesn't seem to lose concentration or, or slip and and go missing from games whenever he's required whenever there seems to be that hole in the middle of midfield he's there and I thought the only time when Norwich looked and the, the centre-backs looked exposed at any point really was when obviously Gabriel Sarah's pass completely exposed them by you know he hasn't really looked or he's he's played quite a poor pass and allowed the, the Rotherham midfield to seize upon it. Um, and other than that, they it was pretty much a, a sort of three-man rear guard the entire time. Um, I think he's got other elements as well. He's probably not going to be going forward and scoring plenty of goals, but technique-wise, he's certainly an upgrade on Alexander Tessie. Um, and, you know, he can 
he can set the tempo, I think, quite well in midfield. You know, as I said, he's not going to be sending those raking balls forward. He's certainly not a Marcelino Nunez, but I think with the rut that Norwich have found themselves in in recent weeks, would you rather have Nunez who tries those Hollywood passes and maybe gets them right five times out of ten, or would you rather have that sort of cool head that Hayden brings and just keeps things ticking over for the 90 minutes? And I thought he did that um, really well. Another pleasing aspect of his character is that he always seems to be willing to offer for the ball. That's something that I find really frustrating watching football games is when the centre-backs are trying to progress the ball and you don't really see anything going on and midfielders don't really want to know. They're sort of turned towards the opposition goal and they don't look like they're particularly interested in in taking the pressure on of receiving the ball under pressure. But Hayden, even when he's got a man on his back and even when he's facing his own goal, is always offering for, for the ball. And I think that really helps Norwich progress the ball. And that's probably a, a more unseen and, and less noticed element in how maybe their possession players improved in the last few games. But yeah, I thought he offered all the elements Norwich really needed. And we know how maybe even obsessed they've become at a higher level in the football club with that increased physicality and athleticism and how much it's cost them to not have that, especially at the top level in the last few years. So it feels like perhaps for now that problem is solved. He seems to have a knack, a little bit of a a Matthias Norman characteristic about him of going down in every single match. And I think Norwich fans are are starting to perhaps get desensitised to that because every time he does go down, you do start to, to feel jitters in a way and start to feel a little bit nervous about it. But as long as he can keep that fitness, which is worth pointing out, it's just pretty much one long term injury. It's not something that he's suffered with throughout his career as injury. So as long as that knee issue doesn't sort of start to to play up again and he can avoid those problems, um, I think he can be a massive player for Norwich, especially in the Championship, but maybe even further in in the Premier League if they manage to to get back there again. Yeah, I thought, thought he was excellent. Um, just a, a real leader, isn't he? And, and I think, you know, we, we've spoken before about how maybe Norwich City don't have too many of those in their ranks, and that's perhaps natural given... A, the sort of younger squad they have, but also B, maybe how difficult it is to create leaders out of modern footballers, which is probably a different debate in itself and something that actually Dean Smith touched upon when I put it to him before Stoke, I think. Um, but yeah, just just feels like he could have the importance that maybe pe- people we felt he would um, when, he, when he came back. And worth noting as well, he's still very early on in his Norwich City career. He still feels, having spoken to him after Watford, that it will be after the World Cup break that, that we really begin to see the best of him, which is... Um, Certainly off the back of yesterday's performance, a very exciting prospect. Uh, Pad, Ke- Kenny McLean is is always quite a uh, divisive figure, I think. He splits opinion among a lot of Norwich City fans. Um, maybe, maybe not even splits opinion. I would say there's probably more in a negative camp around him uh, rather than, than a positive one, uh, which which is a shame, isn't it? Because I think when, when he performs in the way that he did yesterday, it's worth noting that he's played a lot of this season out of position as well. Um, I think he shows why he can be so important to this team and, and why maybe a lot of the criticism around him is is slightly over the top. Is is, is that fair? It's definitely over the top. I think Sam might want to step in here. He's his chief, chief cheerleader, so uh, he might want to take this one. But, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't... If you accept what he is and and what he, can't, what he can do and what he can't do, then, you know, for Norwich in the Championship, he's a, he's a very good operator. And... You know, both Smith and his predecessor um, valued him highly. His teammates value him highly. There has to be something there in terms of a player who can be residually effective to have that level of appreciation. Farker and Smith are not going to play somebody they don't think uh, is able to carry out the elements that they require of a player in that area of the pitch. So, you know, quite clearly, he is a very seasoned now championship performer. Um and if you focus on what he can do, what he can bring, I thought that, that type of game yesterday was perfect. I and mean, we've already touched on it, you know, with maybe the, the, the more defensive protection he had with Hayden. He's the one because athletically he is very good. He can get out. He can lead the press almost um, in aggressive areas. I mean, there was one challenge. I'm trying to think the player now. I think it might have been the, uh, the Bournemouth said a boy Hall. I mean, just in front of the dugouts, absolutely wiped him out in the first half. Sparked a counter. Rotherham berating the referee that, why the foul wasn't given, but but it was just a perfectly timed tackle. And and in the grand scheme of things, you might look at that and and think, well, you know, 
what, what you know, what is that? You know, it's it's neither here nor there. It's nothing eye catching. It's not a thirty yard pass put on a sixpence. It's not bending something in a top corner. But in the context of how a game unfolds, those moments, those triggers cannot be underestimated because they set the tone and and momentum is so key within games and it's just elements like that. And of course, you know, yesterday he gets his goal. He's he's up in support. He should do more of that because it's certainly in the air as well. He's a very good threat. Um, no end of those near post runs that they've tried to work him into positions with this uh, new set piece coach it hasn't quite paid off from set pieces, but his sense of anticipation got him into that position and a bit of fortune in how the ball sp- spun to him from Timo, but uh, you have to be there to finish it. So, you know, if you if you accept what he is and what he can bring to a side, then I've, I find it laughable that people would contend that he can't bring any value or he doesn't add any value. But, but if you're asking him to do things that clearly don't come naturally to him, then if you judge him by that measure, then, of course, you're always going to sort of pick over his limitations. But then, let's be honest, there's every, every player in the Norwich squad has limitations because they're playing for Norwich in the Championship. They're not top-end Premier League players. So I think, inevitably, there is an element of the... You know, maybe maybe the, the players who've been here on this journey before, you kind of get taken for granted a little bit, uh, particularly if you're not one of those eye-catcher players. He said that himself. I've, I've read interviews with him where he knows he's not a fan favourite. He knows he's not the type of player like, a, I don't know, a Buendia who's going to be in the affections of Norwich fans or any fans for that matter. But in any given successful team, particularly to get out of the Championship, you do need players like Kenny McLean and you shouldn't underestimate what he can bring to the cause. And, and as I say, the people who matter, that's Dean Smith, that's Daniel Farker before him, they see a player who can be residually effective and very valuable to the cause. So I find it I find it quite uh, you know, tiresome even to have a debate about Kenny McLean and, and should he be in and around it. Yes, maybe in the Premier League, you wouldn't start him. I don't think he's good enough. I don't think he's a Premier League starter for me, but he's certainly good enough to be in an Orange City squad, be it at Premier League or Championship level. And uh, you can't underestimate the man's versatility as well, because when he's gone in at left-back this season, uh, I don't think he's let anyone down either. So, you know, players like that are worth their weight. And um, and as I say, he's valued completely by his teammates. He's trusted implicitly by his head coaches. Um, so, you know, it's nice that, you know, something like that happens yesterday. He gets a goal gets a little bit of bit of a headline and, and maybe then people can start to appreciate that, yeah, you know, he has an enduring value to the cause. But, uh, you know, what I'm pretty sure is uh, we'll be back here again and, um, you know, if, if results turn and the performances are plateau and Kenny McLean's in the team, let's be honest, it'll be Kenny McLean. He'll probably be one of the first to be singled out. That's his lot, I'm afraid, now in an Norwich shirt. Yeah, lay off Kenny a little bit. He's... Um... Yeah, and, and like you said, the, the point on positions is really interesting because, as a reference there, that's uh, he hasn't played many times. I'd have to look it up in, in in the position that he played in yesterday, which I think he would say is his 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 favourite, his best. He's played at left back a lot. He's played in a deeper role. Those aren't his natural positions. Um, and yeah, he's he's he. The criticism is is over the top for me. I think he, he needs and, and deserves a little bit more respect actually for for the player he is and what he's done in a in an Norwich City shirt, uh, shirt and, and what he offers them as well, which which moves us on, Sam, to the final kind of midfield option, I suppose, that we, we're going to talk about. And that's, that's Gabriel Sara, who, again, I, I was a little bit disappointed, really, that he made the mistake because you take out that and it felt like a real step forward for him in terms of his Norwich City career. But maybe it served as a reminder of the work that's still to go for him in terms of adaptation to English football and maybe his personal development as well and how important it is to get your head up and not play a blind pass into the centre of the pitch. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And uh, it was a, an exercise in me it's, for me in highlighting why big moments are so important in, in football. Um, I think for my my player ratings, I gave him a six and, and I've got a little bit of criticism for that. But I think my justification would be that maybe he's he was a, an eight yesterday and... But I think if you give the opposition a goal, you've got to sort of lose two. And that's probably the the attitude that we have to look at things with, because, yes, there are plenty of good signs and it's, you know, you've got to focus on that and look at that. But in in the long term, those sorts of errors, especially at Premier League level, which is where Norwich City's aspirations lie and where I'm sure Gabriel Sara would still back himself to be a key player. Um, you have got to cut out those sorts of errors. But around that, having sort of had a little bit of, bit of time to consider the performance. I think there were plenty of good 
signs in there, watching back the whole of that first goal. Um, it's a really clever touch to play in Max Aaron's in the first place. And then the the courage, I'd say, to burst into the box on the ball and try and make something happen was really refreshing. I think at times this season, Norwich have lacked that player, besides maybe a Todd Cantwell who's not been quite on it on the ball most of the time. They've lacked that player who's willing to try and drive things forward and uh, to see somebody willing to take that on and take that risk of, of trying to get into the box um, and even take the sorts of risks that resulted in the, the Rotherham goal, I think is refreshing at times. Um, because if you if you want to create things, if you want to be scoring goals and having chances, you need somebody that's able to actually back themselves and to try things in and around the box. And uh, he certainly backed himself with that. I think the physicality with him is certainly something you notice there's quite a lot of times where he'll maybe put the ball at risk um, and maybe even the, the opposition get a touch on it, but he's able to recover it quite well and he gets his body between his marker and the ball really well as well. Um, so there are plenty of positive elements. I was starting to worry given some of the, the inconsistencies we've seen. I don't think he was particularly good against QPR, probably in a, a good performance, maybe the least impressive of Norwich's players on the night for me. And I was starting to worry, given the outlay that they've put into him as a player, if we were starting to see the signs of a player who maybe would, would struggle to live up to that. But obviously, you know, as you said, still still adapting to the English league. And just because Marcelino Nunez sort of hit the ground running doesn't mean Sarah was definitely was sort of destined to do the same thing. You know, the Brazilian league is very different to England and uh, as much as it's the championship, the elements that he's now got to deal with have probably shifted to a great extent. Probably the the ratio of possession play to physicality and duels that he's now got to endure have probably changed drastically. And uh, he certainly looks like a, a talented player. And you can see why Norwich was so keen to look at him and why he's a player that they've tracked for a long time. Um, I think he can be a big player for Norwich this season, probably does need to improve that consistency he's now got the world cup break to probably consolidate things a little bit and look back on the english league and maybe how he can suit it best um but he's a, a player for me who can have a, a real positive impact for norwich this season as a creative force because all of norwich's worst performances in my view have, have been when they've been passing the ball sideways and backwards and it's been slow and sarah is the opposite opposite of all those things he seems keen to speed the pace up of things and he's got that technical quality. So he's the sort of player I like, um, but I'm reticent to to praise him too much for yesterday's performance because as good as it was, you know, as I said, football games are divide, uh, defined by big moments and he has given Rotherham a goal. So if he cuts that out, um, certainly um, only positives on the horizon. But um, yeah, I think maybe maybe it's a, it's a shame that that happened, as you said, really, that's, that's how I'd define it. You're a hard taskmaster. Six for that performance. I'm not sure many. I I think I'd I'd be willing to push him up to a seven. But you are right in that you know probably the mistake does does push him down a little bit. It was then obviously 23 seconds uh, between Oliver Rathbone's or the kickoff after the Oliver Rathbone's equaliser to Aaron Ramsey scoring his uh, what his third goal in three games. Now he's in a really nice um, run of form, looking a a very good player. Just on Sarah as well. I mean, he's for me, what, what's impressive about him is, is his movement in and around the box. He's a midfielder that's going to score goals because of how he reads those and how he, I mean, we spoke about Isaac Hayden having a knack for where the ball lands. He almost has a a, a real awareness of, of which area to attack and where the ball's going to going to fall. And I think you've seen that in the goals that he scored at the moment. And, and you're right, there is a thrust and a physicality that, uh, that he allows him almost to drive Norwich forward at certain points as he did for for the opening goal so uh, yeah hopefully we see a lot more of that but uh, again still as a, as i said some some evidence that there's still some more adaptation to go does feel a little bit mario vrancic first seasony to me i think that's that's probably natural given the the size of the move that he's made um i think it may be one that we begin to see the best of him actually as the season progresses but that for me felt like a a real step forward after what i thought on wednesday night was a pretty good start and then some evidence thereafter that again more work to do in terms of wasn't moving the ball as uh, as quickly as he was being pressed and just a, a bit more awareness of, of English football. But that was good. Um, Paddy, Dean Smith, where does where does this leave him? Because as, as we said, there's a lot of Norwich fans who have 
made their minds up. And I'm sure irrespective of what Norwich City go on to do from here, will have made their minds up on him and uh, and his position and maybe the feeling that he's he's not the right person to lead the club forward. And uh, and that is, uh, I don't know if it's a commonplace view, but it's certainly a place for you in, 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 in some Norwich City fans. The, the three wins, as we said, right at the top, is, oh, sorry, two wins in three have, have calmed the waters a little bit. That that feels kind of what it's, what it's about now for him, doesn't it? Kind of trying to, to keep this run of form consistent. And I guess if Norwich City continue that, then these sort of questions and, and, and that sort of talk will, will go away by itself, won't it? Yeah, ultimately, that's what it boils down to. I mean, his, his phrase is the, the sticking plasters and, you know... I, Possibly you could say that's just where we're at again, but it just feels in this little phase now that maybe it's moved a little beyond that and that with Hayden embedding in, as we've discussed, with Sarah doing what he's doing, um, that there's, there's a bit more to it now. There's a bit more substance to it. It isn't maybe what that winning spell earlier in the season was, which was just good individuals stepping up at key moments and, and deciding it. But overall, the performances were very patchy, felt dis- disjointed. They were just doing enough. Then when the results turned in that period that then subsequently followed that, uh, they had nothing to insulate them in terms of performance and structure. And as a result, you know, one win in eight. And that's when the questions then really did start to grow very loudly about Dean Smith, because we all know what the premium is and it's to get Norwich back to the Premier League at the first time of asking, um, which, you know, was underscored again by the recent accounts that were published and the the financial imperative to do that as well, apart from anything else. But I just think if you take Stoke, if you take QPI, you take Norwich, they they did more than enough to be a very good QPR side, who I know got beat this weekend, but you can see under Michael Beale that they're going to be there or thereabouts. Um, But I thought Norwich were better than them on the night. I thought they created better chances. And so conceivably, we could now be sat here with, nine points and, th- and three decent performances. So it it does feel like things are ticking in a progressive fashion. And as a result, I don't think there will be any discussion about Dean Smith and his position if we want to frame it in that narrow context, you know, if they continue on this path. But in the back of your mind, we all know what the championship's like and they've got, you know, Swansea and Blackburn very short order after this World Cup pause. And if they don't get results there, then we'll be back here again, ultimately, because that's the nature of it. Um, that's that's the that's the bar that Dean Smith is trying to clear, and uh, you know he again reiterated after the game on Saturday that he said all along this group, in his opinion, more than good enough to finish in the top two, and I don't think any would dispute that. Even the anti-Smith sort of faction amongst Norwich's fan base, who don't think he's the man to get on there, I think that even they would contend that this group of players are more than good enough to be in the shout for that top two. Um, and if that's the case, then ultimately, if they're not threatening to do that the other side of the international break, they are now very firmly. You know, they're fourth. They're only two or three, four points off it all really now. Now with Burnley getting pegged back yesterday and Blackburn as well. So, you know, suddenly it opens up again. And that's that's it. And that's, that's where the evenness comes in, I think, in terms of his approach. He didn't get too high when they were nine unbeaten or seven or eight wins on the spin. Conversely, he, you know, he kept his kept his cool when they went one win in eight and, and I don't think he'll get carried away now. And and that ability to have that balance, I think is going to serve them well moving forward because inevitably the noise outside external noise will be there again. If between now and Christmas, they, they don't manage to build on this um, and they'll have to, you know, again, the same questions have come around. And I just think that's where we are this season now under this head coach. I don't think he's suddenly going to win over his doubters or his critics um, with the aesthetics of his football, it's going to be keeping them at bay essentially by by ticking over positive results, and certainly not going back through a, a one win in eight type scenario. Because I don't think there'll be too much credit left in the bank for him if that happens. So um, right here, right now, there'll be no there's, there's no talk of Dean Smith in his future, and why would there be? You know, because it feels like you know they are moving in a positive direction now, but. You know, it would be naive to think that that's the end of it and that there'll be no more criticism of Dean Smith, his methods, what he's trying to do with his team, because the expectations are of a level that anything less than, well, in some eyes, promotion, but certainly a concerted attempt at promotion is going to be deemed as failure and he will have to carry the can for that. So, um, you know, that's where we are. So I don't think we'll we'll say that's the end of questions about Dean Smith. Um, it's just parked for the time being. But, uh, you know, 
he he must feel a lot more confident and a lot lot more uh, assured with what he's seen in his last three games in terms of yeah uh, you know the results will come if they continue on this trajectory and I, and I don't dispute that but whether that'll be good enough when push comes to shove to clamber out of this division again time will tell. Correct. And, and I guess it, it probably doesn't help those people who will be keen to point out statistics like the fact that Norwich have beaten, what, two teams in, in, in the top half at, at this moment in time. Birmingham and, and Millwall, obviously Millwall are in 10th, so they, they've not beaten a side in the top nine so far this season. Um, whether they deserve to or not, they, ha- they haven't done. Um, but Sam, it, it is, just to kind of pick up Paddy's point there, a really wide open division. I mean, I've got the league table in front of me here, even Burnley who are top of the the table. We we like to put that two point a game kind of metric onto it in the championship. Well, no side is tracking that at the moment, not even Burnley who who are top of the league, who who are just underneath that, to be fair. They've got 38 points in in 20 games, but that's fewer than than Norwich had two years ago at at this point. Um, And I think you, you did a piece on this leading into um, into Saturday's game, it's it's a really strange division this year. I mean, the championship's always open; it's always unpredictable. Again, to kind of dip into the cliched expressions that are used around it, but particularly this year, I mean, you you look at West Brom, who who are twenty second at the moment, uh, even Wigan, who are second bottom. They the nine points would would take them up to seventh. It's 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 a really bizarre division this year, and I guess that openness probably means that if Norwich can get a run of consistency going, irrespective of of performances. They're going to keep themselves in the mix, aren't they? Yeah, and it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. I think my piece was maybe looking at the more negative side of that pattern and how it doesn't perhaps bode well for whoever goes up to the Premier League next season. But the positive of it, obviously, for now, is that it it should be the sort of division that anybody can grab hold of if they just go on a run. And Norwich were very close to doing that themselves, actually, when they obviously got up to second and had they kept that pace while Sheffield United continued to drop off, they would have found themselves top of the division and they possibly would have been looking at things in a, a similarly dominant situation as they were in um, this time two years ago. So it's one of those things which is finely balanced. Todd Cantwell spoke in the programme about how quickly things can change and that's truer this season than in any previous one. Um, and Dean Smith has also spoken previously quite a lot about how Yes, in the long term, the goal is Premier League sustainability, but you can't look beyond the Championship. And all he's concerned with at the moment is getting out of the Championship and, and securing promotion. So from that point of view, it's certainly good news um, what this division looks like. And I think if Norwich can continue to produce the sorts of performances that they did yesterday, um, which was, you know, it's worth noting, quite a lot better than probably their average has been this season. But if they can continue to reach that level and probably aided by the likes of Isaac Hayden and Gabriel Sara now coming into form and, and fitness and being used to playing in this team and in this league, it's it's going to be easier for them to grab a hold of this division than it's ever been before. Um, you know, as I said, in that column, it doesn't perhaps bode well for, for next season because it's, very difficult to get a read on, even if a team finished with 100 points in the Championship this season, which they almost certainly won't. Um, could you look at them and say, OK, they're in a pretty good position to survive in the Premier League next season? I don't really think so with the quality of this division, but that's probably how things are going to pan out from now on. Um, the growing gap between the top flight and obviously the second division is is a problem. And it probably means that the the system in terms of promotion and relegation isn't quite as clean cut as it used to be. Obviously that system is designed so that teams are in what should be a a similar bracket of teams in terms of quality. But I don't think, well, this is the, this is the worry for me really is that if Norwich went up and if Norwich did grab a hold of this division, which is quite easy to grab a hold of, would they be under a sort of false sense of security, which maybe they were last time, given they sold Emi Buendia and lost Oliver Skip immediately after promotion. So in the long term, I think it's more of a worry than than a positive thing. But in the short term, especially when you consider the financial implications of what it'd be if they didn't manage to get promoted, I think they'll be delighted with the sorts of opposition they find themselves in now. And it's the the thing we've been talking about all season really is that this this group of players hasn't been performing better than the sum of its parts. In fact, I think it's 
totally fair to say it's been performing worse than some of its parts. And if they can just get up to that level, they don't have to be particularly good as a team. They don't have to be overachieving to the extent of Daniel Farker's 2018-19 campaign. They probably don't even need to be reaching their potential to the extent that the 2020-21 group was and they'll they'll be promoted in my view but in the long term I hope it doesn't trick anybody higher up in the football club um, into a false sense of security and a false idea that winning this championship means you're you're primed for Premier League security um, maybe I'm, I've put a negative spin on what could be quite a positive thing for Norwich there and I'm sure there'll be certain people within that football club who will be looking at things the absolute opposite way, which is fair. And we probably do have to, to focus on the short term a little bit and say that for now, things really are for the taking, not only for Norwich City, but for any any team that's that's capable, that's um, willing to, to go and grab that. But of all the teams in the Championship, Norwich are, in my view, certainly in the top three squad-wise to be capable of doing that. And uh, if they can, then I think they could run away with it but at the moment they do look quite far away from that level and I'm not sure we will see any team um, sort of grasp that I actually said to you in the car we were in the car on the way to Rotherham when I think Burnley opened the scoring against Sheffield United and I thought Burnley were going to do that but that's the epitome of the championship this season really that they then go and lose 5-2 on the back of that so um, yes definitely for the taking for Norwich but whether they will or not um not necessarily will define their season because I think they could still not reach that potential and still be promoted. But um, it's very much in in it's very much questionable for me whether they actually will be able to do that. And my inclination at the moment, given how their form has been so far, is to say that they will struggle to to go on a sort of consistent run, even with the opposition that they're faced. So let's hope that they do. But at the moment, I don't feel entirely optimistic based on performances so far, to be honest. There's uh, there's been a lot of focus on maybe the games before the the World Cup break, and obviously there's there's one of those left. Norwich City host uh, Middlesbrough next weekend at, at Carrow Road, and then we we can all uh, look forward, if that's the right term, to a World Cup uh, in the middle of a season, in the middle of winter, in Qatar, which in itself poses enough problems. But that's again a, an entirely different podcast, and maybe we'll speak about the World Cup next week. But um, there's, there's not really been much talk about the run that Norwich City have after the World Cup break, which I mean I'm going to read you the games pad between December the 10th and uh, and February the 4th. These are the teams that Norwich City will be facing. So they return with an away trip to Swansea. Then they face Blackburn at home, Luton away on Boxing Day. Then they play Reading at home, Watford at home, Preston away, uh, Yorlock Coventry away on the 21st of January. Then they host Birmingham and then Burnley. I mean, there's a, a chunk of games. We've just spoken there about maybe the record they have against the teams towards the top of the division. That's a tough block of games, isn't it, for Norwich City to come back in to? And I guess probably linking back to your next answer, it's going to be another period of games where we test what this Norwich City squad is, but also maybe a chance for Dean Smith to ease the feeling around himself and that edginess that he's described before. That's a block of games where we're maybe going to define Norwich City's season. Is is that an overstatement? Uh, time will tell, can't I? But, I mean... I mean, in a, if if it was a positive set of results, then yeah, very much so. It would be defining because um, because Norwich would then be in the front rank. They'd have come through that period. They wouldn't be getting asked about you haven't beaten X teams in the top nine or whatever. So, and the confidence they would get the the self belief as a group of individuals in that dressing room to come through those type of tests either side of sort of the Christmas period. Um, and really, I think that's probably if you're Dane Smith, you. you you basically now it's all about jockeying. It's about putting yourself in position. If they get a positive result against Middlesbrough, they very much do that this side of the World Cup break. If they can maintain that then in that spell, starting with Swansea on the resumption, 10th of December, um, and they turn for turn for home, start of 2023, and they're in and around where they are now, you'd have to be fairly confident because conversely, you know, a lot of those fixtures will be in their rear view mirror. Uh, they'll have obviously got a sufficient amount of points on the board that they're still in and around it. And then, as much as you can ever say this about the championship, maybe more favourable fixtures to come thereafter, going into January, February, um, where we all know that's that's the defining end of the season. So, this period could be defining. Um, and ultimately, I think if Norwich have aspirations that they do, if Dean Smith is true in his assertion they have a group of players who are good enough to be in the top two, they have to 
take these challenges and, and emerge stronger uh, and grow into the season. And and that's what he's hoped all along. That's what he's touched on recently quite a lot, that he, he feels it was just almost get yourself to the World Cup break, get yourself in a reasonable position in the league and then push on again to almost, you know, slip a few gears and away you go. Now, time time will tell if that is the case, but that's very much how he packages it. And obviously part of that is getting players back from injury and avoiding any further injuries, certainly to key players. Um I mean, Adam Eda, he referenced him. I thought that was interesting. He picked his name out uh, unprompted the other day as a player who we know, fleetingly albeit, but that January fertile period last season against Watford and against Everton, Adam Eda really came to the party. His first Premier League goal, um, you know, that pertinent because it doesn't look like going to do any business in January. That is very much a new signing. If you get Adam Eda firing again, as Dean Smith had, had lit a fire under him, in the championship, he he could really be an, a, an X factor player, um, but ultimately, you know, I don't think we could, I don't think anybody can definitively on the evidence in the first twenty games say with any real confidence that Norwich will emerge unscathed from this period, um, because when they've played a lot of these sides already, they haven't managed to to find a way. So that's the challenge, but it's an opportunity. And as I say, I think you, I think ultimately you take a lot of comfort from the fact that they haven't really maximised their potential yet, but they're still fourth in the table. They're well within touching distance of the top two. If they catch and really hit their strides, then, you know, they can accelerate quite quickly. And and then, you know, then it looks like it's on course for third consecutive promotion. But right here, right now, how can we talk? How can we talk about them going to those games and expecting them to get results? Because we haven't seen enough evidence to suggest they can do it yet. But uh, they certainly have the potential. Um, but the, the the time is a coming where they have to deliver, and it has to be about actual end product rather than we feel we've got a good group of players. We feel we'll be in the shake up. Now is the time of the season where if they don't, they'll leave themselves too much to do, and then you will see the narrative shifting from top two to. Well, we fancy ourselves in the playoffs, and we'll we'll maintain our course here, and we'll finish in the top six. And you know, you don't really want to be in that territory early in January because if you are, then it's tantamount to saying you've probably not got enough points on the board in this festive swing, basically. Absolutely, we've we've run out of time to to speak about the officials, which is a shame because uh, football managers never never seem to. Uh, so we'll cover that very briefly. It was um, it was a. An interesting day, I even say quite hilarious performance from the, the referee yesterday. Um, to be fair, he, I felt he got the decision towards the end right. I've seen it back. I don't think it is a penalty um, on the on, on the Rotherham winger Ogbené when he uh, almost sort of lunges into uh, into Isaac Hayden. Although uh, I think he gave a, a direct free kick when it should be an indirect free kick as a result. But to be honest, the the scenes that Matt sort of followed afterwards is not a particular surprise. There was a bottle thrown some. Moron entered the pitch. It, it all got a bit unsavoury. Uh, Norris should have had a penalty. If you guys disagree, then shout now. But I, I, I think it was a penalty. It was a, a handball. We've got pictures that kind of show it was a handball. I think everyone in the stadium felt it was a handball, apart from the referee. There was a high threshold on yellow cards. Sam McCallum should have been booked before he was. And if he was, then perhaps the, the yellow card that he eventually did get would have been a second um, bookable offence. There was one in the, in the first half where Lindsay caught I want to say Max Aaron's quite no, I think it might have been McCallum actually quite late. That should have been a yellow card. Um, but there we go. Uh, I think that's covered all the, all the main ones. It was just a, a very interesting performance. Finally, then, gents, um, given we started in a very jovial fashion and we are very, very hard pressed for time, so keep keep the answers short. Return of a, a TV show tonight that puts a load of people in a jungle. So if you had to go in a jungle with one Norwich City player, who would it be and why? Keep it very, very short. Sam, I'm going to come to you first. Just one player and then one sentence as a reason. That's that's all we're gonna that's all we're gonna give you. Ono Hernandez, funnest person in the Norwich City squad. You could do plenty of TikTok lives with him. That's what they're doing <laughs> these days. I, um, I understand. Pad, Tim Krul, because I think he's a sort of man who'd uh, go and do all the Bush Tucker trials and eat all those horrendous foods. So I wouldn't have to. So that's the man for me. 
Well, I was going to go Grant Hanley for similar reasons. I think if you needed to survive in any situation, you'd, you'd, you'd basically jump on Grant Hanley's back and trust him to, to run you out of trouble. That's that's basically my basis for it. I'll throw that question out there to, to you guys as well. Get in touch, let us know which Norwich City player would you maybe not like or, or would most equip you to uh, to be in a jungle situation. We'll, we'll leave that there. Gents, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, that caps off a pretty good week for Norwich City. Pretty productive. One more game before the World Cup break will be at Carrow Road next weekend for the visit of Middlesbrough. Of course, plenty more uh, analysis, reaction, opinion to come throughout the week uh, on all of our channels. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again very, very soon. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.